Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to those who are here at 1410 Quinn Drive this morning, and welcome to those who are joining us online from wherever you may be watching this morning. Last week, we began this new series called New Through 30, and really, it's much more than just series. It's more like an experience, because what we've been doing, we've challenged people for, in 30 days to read through the entire New Testament, which I know seems a little bit daunting at first, but so many people have taken on that challenge. Maybe you're wondering why all these books of the Bible are on here. These are all the books of the New Testament, and people have taken on that challenge to read through the New Testament in 30 days and uh, and I've talked to a number of people who are already taken or who have taken that challenge by the way if if you weren't here last week and you didn't know about that in the very back I think our ushers have it maybe we're giving it to you today kind of a bookmark that just kind of gives you a reading plan for 30 uh, days and I know hundreds of people are already uh, doing that you know the Bible it, it's so cool it's so amazing and the more that you read it the more that you want uh, to read it it's been held in the hands by the way of reformers and revolutionaries. Uh, it's been smuggled into countries where the government didn't want it around. It's been used at dinner tables and weddings and grave sites. And here we are today. We get to hold it in our own hands, in our own language. I got thinking about that this week. I thought, you know, maybe it may be good some Sunday to have a, uh, a message about how do we get our Bible like, how do we get it? How is it in our own language? And how can I have confidence in it? And I thought, well, maybe one Sunday we'll, we'll address that because a lot of people will have questions about how we actually got it over, you know, a couple thousand years of the book being written with so many authors. And so it's, it's an interesting study. Now, I don't know what your experience was like uh, this past week, but some days I found it a little tough getting all of my reading uh, done. So thankful for the two grace days at the end of the week. Right? I heard a number of people say that. Woo! Thank you for grace. And uh, they were able to get caught up. You know, one day I was going to bed and it was 20 after 11 when I went, oh, I haven't finished my reading yet. And I ran upstairs. I got 40 minutes before midnight. I got 40 minutes before midnight to uh, finish uh, my reading. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Uh, don't uh, give up. Uh, even if you're a little bit behind, just keep working away at it. For some of us, it may be new through 45 or new through 60 or new through 90. Maybe even new through 120. It will be worth it when you read through the entire New Testament. And as I was reading this week, I was kind of reminded of a lot of stories that I had learned uh, as a young boy in church. And, and for some of you, maybe it's the first time you've ever read through the New Testament. And so maybe some of these stories are brand new uh, for you. But I, I just have been fascinated once again that Jesus is really a remarkable person. His insights, his teaching is really like uh, no other. Uh, this week we had some interesting discussion in my small group. All my small group is uh, reading through the New Testament and some people have some great insights and some comments and some people have some great questions. And some of the questions were like, uh, I don't know how to answer these questions. None of us knew how to answer the question. In fact, one particular question, I said, well, you know what? Why don't we all come back next week with some answers to this one question that has arisen uh, from our reading and the first comments were like, you're giving us homework? I said, don't look at it as homework. Look like it as investigation so we can get uh, to the truth of it. Well, my prayer is that as you are reading through the week that you will, that a measure of hope 
will spring up inside of you, that God would shine light into your situation, that you would see God as powerful, all-powerful, no matter what uh, you may be facing outside of these walls, and that you would see God clearly as a father, someone who is faithful, that we would have peace in our hearts and rest for our souls, that we would actually see God as faithful and sovereign and supreme in everything, that he's perfect, that he's all-knowing, that he has all authority, that he's a father to the fatherless and a friend to the lonely and a comfort to those who are tormented and a shield to those who are in battle and a tower for those who need a shelter and a refuge for those who are worn out. That we would know God is good and that he rules and that he reigns. Now we've come this morning with a sense of anticipation. You know, we've been ushered into his presence through music this morning, and now we're gonna get ready to open up his word. And, and my prayer is that all morning long, we just keep fixing our eyes on Jesus and, and no one else, because he is an awesome, powerful God. You know, sometimes you preach God's word, and I can feel a little heavy, a little, um, kind of be distracted. Uh, you know, you feel maybe the weight of it all, not because, you know, people are saying something or maybe negative comments, but just sometimes of the uncertainty where we're going in the future. And, and so I always feel this pressure. And so what I want to do is that when I do speak, I never want to speak like I'm just giving out information. Uh, you can get information anywhere. We want to make sure people understand God's word is not just for information, it's for transformation uh, in, in people's lives. And when I speak from God's word, I don't want to just speak from theory, uh, or a book of knowledge, but I want to be able to speak with experience that I know this is to be true because I've experienced it in my, lo- uh, my life. So when I proclaim that there's hope in Jesus Christ, I want you to know I know that to be true because I've experienced it uh, in my own life. And so as we read God's word this morning, I, I just pray that if you have a heavy burden, that it would be lifted this morning and that you would know there is certainty Uh, for your future. So with that, would you please take your Bibles and turn to the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is actually a passage that uh, if you're doing the New Through 30, you read uh, this week in Matthew chapter 16, actually. Matthew chapter 16. And I know, I know you've gotten really comfortable. You, you kind of got your seat all warmed up. I'm going to ask you to stand, though, as we read God's word this morning in Matthew chapter uh, 16. And we're going to be starting to pick it up in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some, some say that you're, you're John the Baptist. And others are saying you're Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone 
that he was the Christ. Seems odd. Let's pray. Father, we pray now in these next few moments as we look into your word, I, I pray it will be real and it will be fresh and alive for us once again. We are so thankful for the word of God that reveals to us who you are, an amazing God who loves us, and we thank you. So Lord, I pray that for these next few moments, may we sense and feel the presence of God among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How many people... like the sound of that. How many people like doing puzzles? Really? When I hear this sound, it's like someone's fingernails going down a chalkboard. You know, uh, I've never understood how the puzzle industry has survived, to be honest with you. Doing puzzles is like torture for me. It's like uh, civilized waterboarding when you think of it. I don't like hunting through piles of pieces. You know, um, my sisters were here last, I think it was last summer, they said, hey, hey, let's work on a puzzle tonight. I go, there is not a puzzle in this house. Well, let's go buy one. We could do something together. I said, I have a room that needs to be painted. We could do it together. <laughs> There's something about puzzles. Uh, in fact, as I speak about them, I get weak in my knees and a little upset of a stomach. And for those of you who relax and enjoy spending an evening or a week or a month doing a puzzle, God bless your perseverance. <laughs> in a few weak moments in time, when I was heavily sedated by drugs, I agreed to do a few puzzles in my life. And what I know about puzzles, which is not a lot, there is a starting point when putting puzzles together. Every master puzzle person will tell you there's certain ones you gotta look for first. And so, you know, when, when, when people take these and they open the box and they throw all the pieces on the table, oh, a thousand pieces of chaos. It's so neat and tidy inside the box. So when people put all those pieces out there, of course, what do they do? They begin to find some, some of the edges and, and some of the corner pieces. They begin with a framework. You know, um, there's a young boy that goes here named uh, Kyle Charlton, and, and I was over at their place one time, and they love doing puzzles. That family loves doing puzzles. They have like a thousand I think. There's just shelves and shelves and, and then they got puzzles that are so hard like they'll have a picture and, and then you got to imagine what it would look like behind the picture, right? Like what you're imagining, like it's not actually on the box. It's like what would be behind these people, what they would look like. So if you see the front of their outfit, you're actually putting the back of the outfit together. I don't even understand why people would do this. But <laughs> Kyle, he has his own way and he's like 10. I think he's 10 or 11 years old and you know, they have this ping pong table, and they'll put a thousand pieces there, and he's very particular, so every piece is about an inch apart, right, up and down straight, and so he's got that. And then the other side of the ping pong table, he starts from the bottom. He gets the bottom row, then the second row. Not the frame, the second row, the third row, the fourth row, 
I suggest that he go for counseling. But anyway, it's like, it's just so interesting, uh, his approach. But, but most people look for the corner pieces and the edge pieces. And, and this passage that I read this morning, uh, I, you know, I read it with fresh eyes again. And for three years, the disciples have been trying to put a puzzle together as to who Jesus is. For three years, they have been traveling with him. And they've been able to pick a few pieces. But it seems as though they're having a hard time to put all the pieces together. They found a few corner pieces, a few of the edges. But the picture is, it's very uncertain. It's not really fully clear. And at this moment that we read. At this particular passage, at that moment, it seems as though Peter has finally found the last piece of the puzzle that he has not been able to find. A puzzle is never completed. And he put the last piece in. I, you know, sometimes you'll go to yard sales and they'll have puzzles for sale. And I'll say, you know, a dollar, three pieces are missing. Why? Why would you buy that? Or even worse, one piece is missing. Like you don't really ever see the full picture. Why? That sounds so crazy to me. But in this particular event, Peter found the, found the last piece. And he put it in place. And all of a sudden he sees the complete picture. He says, when the question is asked, he says, whoa, you're the Christ. Like something clicks inside. And, and as you read through the New Testament, by the way, you are going to see all kinds of different pieces of the puzzle that the disciples had, but they couldn't quite put all the pieces together. I mean, we read about the feeding of the 5,000, which is a miraculous story, of course, and how Jesus uh, said, let's go feed the crowd, and, and the disciples were like, well, well, we can't do that. He said, we'll just find out what you had, and there's a young boy, right, with a little lunchbox, and he happens to have, like, uh, five loaves of bread, it says, and two fishes, and, and I don't picture, like, two big tunas and, you know, double loaf of bread. I, I picture, like, five little tartar biscuits and, and two sardines. And, and they bring it to Jesus, and he feeds not just 5,000 men. Most people say it probably was like at least 20,000 people there. Amazing. And the disciples are like trying to figure this whole thing out. In fact, there was even all kinds of food left over when the story is uh, finished. And then, of course, there's a story where there's a storm brewing and the disciples are out, out on the sea. And, and it just seems like they're, they're afraid they're going to lose their lives. And Jesus is sound asleep in the boat. And then finally they just wake him up like, we're going to die. <laughs> and he stands up and during all the commotion. And, and when he wakes and when he stands, he speaks to the storm, hush and be still. And it was. And the response by these men, it's recorded for us, they said, what? manner of man is this that even the winds obey him like they're trying to figure it out who is Jesus and then of course there's that time you know when the disciples are in the boat again and and he has sent them on ahead to go to Bethsaida and he said I'm going to stay here I'm going to open the mountain and I'm going to pray and he's praying up there and all of a sudden a storm again arises on on the sea and it says in the wee hours of the morning, like four, four o'clock in the morning, Jesus actually sees them out there struggling to keep the boat afloat. 
and it says he walks out to them, and they say, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. And then, of course, he, he steps into the boat, and the storm stops. And this is what it's recorded for us. It says, and they were astonished. They were shocked. Another piece of the puzzle has been placed into the picture. They're trying to ask, answer the question, who is Jesus? I mean, he's no ordinary guy. Uh, this is just no ordinary prophet. Uh, this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is Christ. This is actually not just the Son of Man. He's the Son of God, and not just any God. He's the Son of the living God. And Peter, at this moment, acknowledges Christ's deity. Peter is in the presence of God's Son. Now, in no way, do I have a fully developed picture of God? I'm still putting pieces together. I'm still discovering new things about God. And the longer I live and the more I read his word, and the more I spend time with him, I feel like there's just more pieces being put into the puzzle. Uh, and, I, and I feel like maybe some of us have that one-dimensional you know, look of who God is. Have you ever seen those three-dimensional puzzles? Talk about frustrating. Uh, James Becker's son brought in one last year. I don't know, probably stands about this high and about this wide, and he brought it in, and I was like, how long did that take you? He goes, oh, about 30 hours. I said, why? <laughs> you will never gain those 30 hours of your life back again. But there's something about it, right? You turn it around, and you see all the different dimensions and all the different angles of the puzzle. Well, maybe this morning you simply have a one-dimensional view of who Jesus is. And maybe for you, he's just the guy that we talk about at church on Sunday. Or maybe to you it's like one-dimensional. Well, he's the person who died on the cross, you know, for forgiveness of sin. Or, or maybe for you it's like, well, he's the guy that was, he lived on earth and, you know, he lived a good life and did, and did a few miracles. Maybe you have seen him only as a God who judges. That's your view one-dimensional. Maybe you've never seen the side where God is loving and kind and compassionate and caring and patient and long-suffering and a friend and a father. Maybe you've only ever seen him as one who allows only good things to happen to his children and not the hard things. And maybe you only see him as a God who is far, far away See, there's so many different facets of who Jesus is. And, and as you read through the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus in all kinds of different situations. And you're going to be able to see a new picture of who he is. You're going to be constantly amazed at Jesus. And if you only have a one view of who Jesus is, I, I think you're going to have a very limited and distorted view. Because he's so much more. And maybe it's time to turn the puzzle a little bit. So we begin to have a different perspective, a different facet to see of God. As we make our way through the New Testament, we are seeing Jesus. Uh, we're gonna see God in so many different facets that in fact, at, at moments, it may just blow your mind of who he is. So let me give you the gist of the story. Let me help you, help you feel as to what is happening at this particular moment. The story starts off like any other ordinary day. Jesus 
and the disciples get up in the morning and they don't get on a bus, they don't get on a train, uh, they're on a trip and they're just walking and discussion is happening. Maybe they're talking about the weather that day. Maybe they're talking about, uh, it's been a while since I've been at home. And, and, and they're walking along just like any ordinary day. And then finally Jesus brings up in the conversation as they're walking along. He says, hey, what's the, um, what's the word on the street as to who I am? And they're like, whoa, whoa there's lots of things being said about you, Jesus. Not all of it's good, by the way. But then, then they say, well, you know what? Actually, some, some are saying you're John the Baptist. And if you know the story of John the Baptist, of course, he was the forerunner. He was the one who was proclaiming that somebody would come. And we read about his story, and, and Herod had put him in prison because of all, so many people were complaining, some of the Jewish religious leaders were complaining, so they put him in prison. But the Bible says he actually liked hearing John speak, believe it or not. Even though he was in prison, he liked to engage in conversation with him. So he's in prison, and, he, and Herod throws his big birthday party. And he invites all the VIPs to come. And the, the Bible tells us that his daughter came and danced before him. And he was so pleased by it. He says to her, listen, whatever you want, I'll give to you. Like, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And so can you imagine, like, a young girl thinking, oh, my goodness, I could have anything. I could have a ruby necklace. I could have a diamond necklace. I could. And, and she runs to her mother. By the way, her mother, who was very offended by John the Baptist, she did not like what he was saying. In fact, she felt like John the Baptist was like her enemy. And, and so what happens is the mother says to the daughter, go ask your father for the head of John the Baptist. And so, believe it or not, it sounds so gory. Immediately, because Herod wanted to save face in front of all of his friends. He's like, oh my goodness, I just made a promise to my daughter. I, I gotta, but I think it bothered him. But he sent immediately some soldiers to the prison. They immediately cut off his head. They put it on a platter and brought it to the daughter. And so some people think that John the Baptist has come back to life. That's what some people are saying. In fact, if you read it, even Herod began to wonder, is John the Baptist, has he come back again? So when, when some people say, well, some are talking and some are saying you're, you're, you're John the Baptist. While others are saying, well, some are actually saying that you're Elijah. You remember his story in the Old Testament. Elijah never died. He was just caught up in a whirlwind. So some people are saying, you're, you're Elijah. And, and, and then others are saying, uh, no, 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 no. You're Jeremiah. Uh, you're one of the, the great prophets of old. By the way, every one of their answers were very flattering. Flattering to be connected with such great men and great prophets. Of course, all their answers were wrong. I mean, Jesus' teaching was very similar to what some of them had been teaching. But see, the people couldn't figure out who Jesus was. They obviously knew that there was something very special about him, but they didn't know who he was. They couldn't quite put their finger on it. Then, when all that conversation's going on, this is what happens. They're talking. I picture this going on for a while. And then all of a sudden, she stops talking in general terms. He gets very personal. So all these answers coming out. And then he, I, this is how I picture it. I think I picture Jesus stopping and looking in the eyes of the disciples and saying, but who do you say I am? Okay, it's great. We've been talking about whatever everyone else is talking about me. 
but you've been traveling with me for three years now. Who do you say that I am? You get very personal, really up close, and really that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? That all of us have to answer. And so as he asked that question, he knows that he has been, he's been teaching these men for three years. He's invested his life into these men for three years. And it's, it's almost like they're being tested. Have they been paying attention at all as to what Jesus was doing? Were they soaking in all those times that Jesus was teaching them life lessons? Then Peter speaks up. Peter the spokesman of the 12. Peter, the one who was raised as a man's man, a rugged guy. He's a fisherman all of his life. Rugged. Peter, the, the kind of the blue-collar worker. Peter, the, just your, you know, your ordinary guy. Peter, the one who was never trained in the rabbinical things of uh, rabbinical order. The guy that never went to seminary and learned the deep truths of Scripture. Peter just blurts it out. Blurts out this answer. He says, you are the Christ. Three years of traveling, three years of putting pieces and corners and edges of the puzzle together. Finally, something comes together. Oh my goodness, you are, you're the Christ. I, I just picture all the disciples going, what? He says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You are, you are the Messiah. You are the predicted Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world, the fulfillment of all the promises that we have been heard of all of our life. You're it. You're the one. The statement is quite profound, actually. I don't know if you see all this, but what Peter's answer is a major theological truth. Because you see, these 12 disciples, since they have been little boys, they have been trained all their life that God was going to send someone. They, they had been taught all those Old Testament prophecies that God would actually send someone to, uh, to deliver them. We look back in faith, but they were looking forward in faith that God would send someone. And the thing is, I think they had their own image of what, the, what to look for. I mean, they really were looking for someone who would come and deliver them from the Roman oppression, the Roman rule. That's what they were looking for. They wanted to be saved from that. And that's kind of what they were looking for. Jesus really, at the beginning, didn't fit that picture. And I thought to myself, I wonder what prophecies are going through Peter's mind. Like all the Old Testament prophecies that he had been taught since a little boy, which one? Finally, as he was thinking through some of those prophecies, like, oh my goodness, look who stands in front of me. It's the Christ. It's the one that we've been waiting for all of our life. And some of you here are very similar to the disciples. Some of you have had the opportunity to see Jesus as God's answer for them. There are a few here today that maybe uh, you've seen God at work. You look around and you see some of God's handiwork. You've seen life changes in people. You've witnessed broken lives being rebuilt. You've seen shattered marriages put back together again. But haven't quite figured out that Jesus is the reason for it all. That peace has not come together. He's the Messiah. 
He is the anointed one. He's the savior of the world. He is your personal savior. And for some, maybe you're still a little bit confused on that. You, you need like one of those wow moments in your life. Oh, now I get it. I know who Jesus is. And just like in this scripture, it says, Jesus says to Peter, man didn't reveal this to you. God revealed this to you. And so our prayer is all the time that God would open the eyes of people to be able to catch a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is. And I feel like unless God opens our eyes, we walk around blinded to the truth. And so my prayer, our prayer is that God would reveal himself to you, that your eyes would be opened, the blinders removed, much like the disciples. Now this next verse I want to look at, millions, millions of people in this world um, interpret it very different than the way I'm going to suggest this morning. Look at verse uh, 18. This is Jesus. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. See, many people believe that Jesus is saying, Peter, you're the guy. I'm going to build my church on you. And the gates of Haiti will not be able to stand against it. But interesting that you have this one verse that doesn't seem to quite agree with everything else that's happened in the Bible. So you've got to try to figure out, well, it seems that it's happening. But this is where you kind of get sometimes messed up in translating from language to language. Because here it's almost like it's a play on word, uh, uh, almost like a, a pun. Because Jesus so many times it says that he is the cornerstone, that he is the rock. Um, so what actually is Jesus saying here? If you were to go back to the original language, Jesus is saying, when he says Peter, he uses the word Petros. You are Petros. You are, Petros means little rock, stone, pebble, Petros. He says, you are Petros, and upon this Petro, or Petra I mean, upon this rock, Petra, he says, which means massive cliff, massive rock. He says, I will build my church. So he's not saying, Peter, oh, I'm going to build a church on you. He says, no, you, Peter, small rock. Uh, it sounds almost like First Nations language. You, Peter, me, Jesus, right? You, little rock, me, big rock. And, and as Jesus is speaking, he says, you know what? All the demons can gather together, put their forces together, and it will not be able to stand. It will not be able to stand against the church. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, if you have put your total faith and trust in him and him alone, you are part of the church the church is just the people. It's not the building. It's the people. And that's why Jesus says, and all the gates, or all the demons that cannot stand against the people. And by the way, when he says the devil and all of his angels, you know, it's a third of the angels who fell from heaven. If they were to attack, they would not win. You were on the winning team. 
You hear what I just said? Hell and all of its cronies will not prevail against the church. And Peter finally gets it. He finally gets it. It also may have a reference, by the way, when Jesus says, may also have a reference to his own death. It it's also could mean that Hades may be referring to death, that not even death, not even my death will hinder the church. And then notice in verse 20, Jesus says, then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. I, I, I read that, and I, that just seems so strange to me. It seems so strange. Wouldn't you think Jesus would finally say, huh, whoo, you finally get it. Now let's go and get a preaching tour together. Wouldn't you think? You finally understand it. Now let's go let the rest of the world know what you have just learned. It's time to organize. Let's rent a coliseum. Let's invite the Gaither boys and newsboys. Let's have a big, huge convention. But no. Jesus says, don't tell anyone. I don't know. It just shocks me. What a strange prohibition in face of a glorious revelation that he would say that. So what does this all actually mean? It means that Jesus Christ, God's son, the one who had been prophesied about for a thousand years actually came to earth and did the ultimate. He gave his life. By the way, people didn't take his life. He gave it. And he gave his life for you and for me. You don't have to look at anybody around you. He gave his life for you. There's really only one. There's really only one that could have paid the price. And his name is Jesus. We're going to just kind of flow uh, into communion. And uh, we want to celebrate what has transpired on our behalf. By God sending his son, he demonstrated that he loved us. I love this. I want you to listen to this. I, I, I heard this, this quote this week by Brendan Manning. Christ loves you despite the fact that he knows everything about you. He goes on to say, he knows every skeleton in your closet every sin, every shame, every dishonest thing that you and I have ever thought or done. He knows when our faith is shallow and our prayer life is feeble. He knows when our Christian lifestyle is inconsistent. And even with all the inside information, he loved you and went to the cross. Whew. Who would do that? Who knows my whole story and still would go to the cross? That's Jesus. You can trust Jesus not based on what you've done. Not even what you should be, but one day what you will be. So it's no wonder in times like this we just want to slow, slow things down. You know, life is so busy, so hectic. We're just running, 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 going, going, going. And we slow things down a little bit just to reflect and honestly to celebrate you know, sometimes we, we come into communion very, you know, um, quietly and reserved. 
which is fine too. But then there's time you realize, man, this is a time to celebrate who Jesus is and what he did for us. It's a very special moment for us who know Jesus Christ. The fact that he was promised from the moment of creation, right from the very beginning, God said, I'm going to send somebody. <laughs> He's going to deliver. He's going to rescue people. I think most of the world had no idea what it was going to look like. But this is Jesus. It's a very special moment for us. For those of us who know Jesus as your Savior. For those of us who have invited Jesus to forgive us of our sin. And the fact is, maybe you're here this morning, and the truth is you're just kind of investigating who God is. That's great. No better place to be here. We, we love that you're here. But when we have communion together, we always say this is for those who know Jesus as their Savior. So come, investigate, ask all the questions you want. It may be just for you. It may be just an opportunity to just let it pass by. Nobody's going to judge you at all because it's, it's, it's for those who know Christ. Also, you know what the Bible says? I was thinking about that this week. You know, sometimes we'll say, oh, well, people that don't know Jesus shouldn't be taking communion. But you know what the Bible says too? The Bible says that if you have a conflict with your brother or your sister, go deal with that first before you take the Lord's Supper. Isn't that interesting? Also, I was just thinking, you know, this week sometimes just we're in, we get, we're, we're living life and sometimes we feel like we just get a little, I don't know, I feel like you just get a little dirty. We don't need a full bath again because we've been, we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, but sometimes you just feel like, this week wasn't so good. And that's why in the quietness of this moment, this is your opportunity, you know, just say, you know, God, you know, Tuesday wasn't a good day. I got a little sidetracked. Or Thursday wasn't a great day for me. And that's why we always say keep short accounts with God. Don't let those things just linger on and go on. And so even in the quietness of the moment, that's an opportunity you just kind of reflect over the, you know, the past little bit and, and things have crept up in your life to be able to, to confess those this morning. So I'm going to invite our team to come and serve and, and then we'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll take this together this morning.